I got a call this morning at 7.30 in the morning. Matt called me uh, because uh, he was already working and thinking about this worship service at 7.30 in the morning. When I got to church here about 8.30, these guys had already been on stage for a while, practicing and getting ready, doing all of that so that they could be a blessing to us. Thankful for, um, I just want to kind of name everybody. Uh, Bonnie, our worship leader, thankful to her. Thankful to Steve on bass. I kind of feel like I just went to a Ringo Starr concert a few weeks ago. I feel like I'm Ringo Starr introducing the band now. I'm just, that's just in my head. I don't know if that's if you're seeing it as well. But thankful for Carly singing, for Kennard uh, playing keyboards. Uh, thank you. Thankful for Daniel on saxophone, Aaron on guitar. Um, thankful for Sharice. Did y'all see Sharice on flute? It's back here from Philly. Thankful for her today. And thankful for Devin, who hasn't been here in a while. Um, if y'all know who Devin is that was on drums, he's uh, the owner of Black Bear Axe Throwing. And if you pay attention to him, your, your axe sticks in the wood if you do what he tells you to do. Uh, but thankful for him being here today with us. Uh, I'm preaching today because Craig is on vacation, and I don't know if he's still in Florida or if my guess is that right now he's at his second church or second worship service. Uh, Craig is a self-professed church nerd, and on vacation he likes to visit other churches. So uh, he is probably sitting in another church right now taking notes on what they do, and uh, we'll be watching this later on today, then critiquing me probably. Um, today we're concluding our sermon series, Big Deal, Small Deal, or No Deal. And each week we've been looking at the book of Galatians, and today we close with the sixth chapter. Next week we begin the season of Advent as we look forward to celebrating Jesus' birth and his return. As we read chapter 6 today, I want you to remember that throughout this letter, Paul was addressing two issues, both of which were big deals. The first was an attack on Paul himself and whether or not he was a real, legitimate apostle. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, Peter outlined the proper credentials of an apostle. An apostle must have been with them from Jesus' baptism until his ascension. And an apostle must have been a witness to Jesus' resurrection. Paul could not check either of those boxes. He wasn't with them during Jesus' ministry, and he was not a witness to Jesus' resurrection. And so these folks were coming into the Galatian churches after Paul and asking the believers, who's Paul and why are you listening to this guy? They were questioning whether or not he was an apostle and whether or not he had authority to teach. This Friday, um, we, uh, our family uh, got a couple of the Christmas and Coweta names, and uh, Friday afternoon, Heather, Maya, and Sasha were shopping in the stores. I was in the parking lot sitting in the car with a bunch of other men sitting in their cars waiting. And as I was sitting in the car and thinking about this sermon, I had a revelation, a realization that I had actually done the very same thing that happened to Paul. I had gone into a church after someone else, someone else after someone else had been there, and I said, why are you listening to this guy? And I'm not going to do that today with, with Craig. This is not about Craig. But here's the story. Uh, the town we lived in Ukraine was called Birdyansk, and we had partnered with the second of three churches there and they all belonged to the same Ukrainian denomination. 
The third church of the three was in the middle of a building program when an American from California came over and partnered with them. He was not only a believer, but also an independent contractor. So this little congregation saw him as a godsend to their church. Well, it turned out that his primary reason for coming to Ukraine was not to serve the church, but to find a mail-order bride. The first church all went, ooh. Uh, the first service did. Um, and he was making use of some of the shady marriage agencies in our little town. So you can imagine that that did not go over well with the members of that congregation. And I'm not going to go into details, but suffice it to say that things got worse. People were taking sides, and this issue threatened to cause a split in the church. And I got a call from the pastor of the third church asking me to come and to speak to the congregation about this. And he told me his story, uh, the story from his point of view, and I agreed to come and speak, but I told him that I would also be contacting the American, his name was Mike, um, that I was going to contact Mike and ask him to tell me his side of the story. But Mike didn't want to meet with me. He refused to talk to me. So when I stood before the congregation, I wasn't exactly sure what to say. Mike was telling the folks that what he was doing was okay, no big deal. But church leaders were admonishing him and saying that it was a very big deal. And for the record, I agree with the church leaders. I know more than enough about those agencies to know that that is not how followers of Christ find spouses. So when I stood before the congregation, this is what I said. Why are you listening and following Mike? Who is Mike anyway? He's just a guy. Are you listening to him because he's an American? He's not a pastor of a church. He's not a deacon. He's not an elder. He wasn't sent here by his church. No one listens to Mike in America. Why are you listening to him? About a week later, later, I got a really unpleasant letter from Mike. He had people planted in the audience that took notes. Um, he was shocked by what I had said. Couldn't believe that I had sided with Ukrainians against a fellow American. I didn't see this about nationality. That wasn't, didn't seem to be the point, but that was the point to Mike. But how did Paul respond to those questioning him and his authority to teach? Paul's response is in Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, I did not receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, from any man. It was revealed to me personally by Jesus Christ himself. I have seen the resurrected Lord. And just to pad his stats, Paul talks about his acceptance by James, Peter, and John, and the apostles as an apostle to the Gentiles. He tells those attacking his credibility that the apostles praised God because of me. The second attack that Paul addresses in his letter to the Galatian churches is an attack on the gospel message that he was preaching. Is the Christian faith dependent on circumcision and the law, or is it dependent on grace? Is it about what we must do to earn salvation, or is it about grace? and an acknowledgement and acceptance of what God has already done for us. Spoiler, it's the latter. It's about grace. And in Galatians 5.2, Paul tells the believers in the Galatian churches, if you let yourselves be circumcised, that is, if you place yourself back under the law, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He's saying if you put your hope and trust in the law, 
and your ability to keep the law, you won't benefit from God's grace and the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. So with that in mind, let's read Paul's concluding remarks, Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone. Without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me as I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So let's start in the middle. Paul anticipated an attack on the very letter that he was writing. This letter was intended to be circulated among the churches in Galatia, and Paul knew that just as his apostleship and the gospel message that he preached were being questioned, so would this letter be questioned also by those attacking Paul. How do we know that this letter is genuine? How do we know that it's actually from Paul? How can we authenticate it? In verse 11, Paul answers that. He says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. I'm going to say something right now that might be a little controversial. It's an opinion that I've held since childhood, and I know some of y'all are not going to like it. But I believe it's truer now than it's ever been, and it's an opinion. But I'm pretty sure I'm right. So here it is. Cursive is stupid. I know that there are people in this room right now ready to fight me. You'll know who they are because at the end of the service, they'll make their way to the front to talk to me about this and set me straight. But I'll say it again, cursive is stupid. Most people's cursive is illegible. I like big, clear, legible block letters. And at least in this letter, so did Paul. Paul wrote in big block kindergarten letters that no self-respecting secretary or scribe would use. He did that to leave no doubt as to the verity of the letter or its message. And in verse 17, Paul called for the attacks against him to stop. For he bore on his body the marks of Jesus, stoned, three times beaten with a rod, 
three times shipwrecked. Paul is saying, I don't have anything else to prove to anyone. I have suffered for the message of good news that I have preached. I write this letter to the churches in Galatia to beg you all not to turn away from the grace of God, only to put your trust in your ability to keep the law. It's an impossible task. It's a bad deal. Don't do it. That reminds me of our time in seminary in Tennessee. Heather was working at a waitress in a small cafe, and Heather's boss tried to talk one of Heather's co-workers to go from an hourly wage to a monthly salary. Initially, the boss's monthly lump sum offer looked really good to Heather's co-worker, but thankfully she asked Heather for advice. Her co-worker was young, naive, and not very good at math. When Heather turned that lump sum into an hourly rate, her co-worker immediately rejected the offer. And that's what Paul's doing in the letter to the Galatians. He's doing the math for them. That God, through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, is offering you something better. Why are you returning to the law? This chapter is a bit of a catch-all of parting thoughts and wisdom, so let's look at a few of them. Verse 1 instructs us how to treat a brother or sister caught in sin. It's not about revenge. It's not about comeuppance. It's about grace and gentle restoration, understanding that our response in these situations is also sinful sometimes. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. This is the way he translated verse 1. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical, thought, uh, critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Verse 2 and 5 seem at odds with one another. Paul calls us to carry one another's burdens, but then he says each person should carry his own load. So what's going on here? We each have our own personal responsibilities and obligations that are just a part of life. But what happens when things get hard? In addition to our regular responsibilities and obligations, we face sickness or loss or injury or financial struggles or broken relationships or strife at home or at work. Those aren't loads. Those are burdens that we're carrying around with us as well. So when we see a brother or sister in Christ carrying these types of burdens along with their regular load, Paul tells us to help carry those burdens, and in doing so, we'll be fulfilling the law of Christ. And sandwiched in between those verses, Paul talks about the comparison game, comparing ourselves to others. And again, Paul simply says, don't. Don't compare yourselves to others. That never ends well. Either it makes us feel bad about ourselves and our situation in life, or it leads to sin and pride. We're not to compare ourselves with others, but instead we should compare ourselves to the person that God has called us to be. That's the goal, and that's the direction we should be moving. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This is not about karma. This is not about the idea or principle that whatever thoughts or energy, good or bad, that you put out into the world or put out into the universe returns to you. 
So in order to have good things happen to you, you need to put good thoughts or positive energy out into the world. That's not what Paul is talking about here when he says that a man reaps what he sows. This isn't Justin Timberlake singing, what goes around comes around. This isn't the Beatles singing, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. This isn't about putting stuff out into the world or into the universe so that good things happen to you and hopefully you avoid some bad karma, juju, or mojo. No. Paul here is talking about a core, basic spiritual truth that God cannot be fooled or tricked. God is just. And what I choose to do with my life produces something. Think about chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. But if I choose to live my life to please my sinful, selfish nature, I should not be surprised to find myself at the end of my life alone, surrounded by burnt bridges, broken relationships, and hurt. So with that in mind, Paul tells us to please the Spirit, and in doing so, you will reap eternal life. That's a basic spiritual truth. You reap what you sow. You don't plant beans and get tomatoes. You don't get shredded, as the kids say, just because you want to be shredded. Lifestyle choices have to be made. Paul is warning us that sin corrupts. The decisions we make set us on a path, and if we're living to please our sinful nature, that path leads to destruction. We have to intentionally sow to please the Spirit. And being intentional is kind of a buzzword now, kind of Christian talk. But it's true, isn't it? In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and God will take care of the things that worry you. Seeking first the kingdom of God is how we sow to please the Spirit. And then Paul adds something interesting in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Sowing to the Spirit isn't easy, and Paul knows it. He knows that from time to time it's human nature to grow weary of doing good. It's hard to turn the other cheek. I'm tired of taking the high road. In 1 Peter, Peter is talking to Jesus' followers who have been scattered across the Roman world, and he's giving them instructions on how to live as strangers in the world. And in Peter, 1 Peter 3.9, he tells them, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. That's sowing to the Spirit. And this is what Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia. We don't grow weary of doing good when our acts of kindness are being reciprocated. We don't grow weary when we are seen and valued by others. We don't grow weary when others are acting or responding in kind. We get weary of doing good when we're insulted, when our motives are questioned. We get weary when our good deeds aren't appreciated or noticed, or maybe even worse, taken for granted. We get weary when folks are ungrateful. We get weary of doing good when we're repaid with evil. We grow weary of doing good when it seems like, in the words of DJ Khaled, all the bad guys do is win, 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 no matter what. In Luke 6, starting in verse 27, Jesus himself says, Love your enemies, 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And you know what? God is just telling us to follow his example. He's telling us to do what he has already done for us. Thanks be to God that he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Luke 6.35 Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8 And when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Romans 5.10 When we're ungrateful and wicked, God is kind. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, God reconciled us to him through the death of his son. Now this last section might seem a little bit irrelevant to some. All this talk of circumcision and the law. And I don't think any of us are advocating for a return to Mosaic law. In chapter 3, verse 3, Paul asks his Galatian audience, Are you so foolish, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Now that sounds relevant to us, doesn't it? Trying to attain the goal by our own human effort. Paul's gospel message is grace. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul says, For as by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If we're going to boast, then let's boast in the cross of Christ, through which we are now a new creation. That's what Paul calls us, a new creation. That's verse 15. Through Jesus Christ, we are made new. We're not reclaimed, we're not repurposed, remodeled, refurbished, or restored we are made new. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And in John 3.3, Jesus says, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus is saying only those who have been made new will see the kingdom of God. So another story from Ukraine. About eight months after moving to Ukraine, a guy from the church we were, we were attending called and said, I have found you a car. To which I replied, thanks, I'm not looking for a car yet. I'm not ready to buy. And he said, nope, I found you a car. You'll thank me later. He said, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. we got about a four-hour drive. Bring your passport and $4,500. The next afternoon, I found myself driving back home in my new car. But it wasn't a new car. It was new to me, but it was a used car. There it is. A 1997 Lada Baltica, to be exact. This church bought that car. That's $4,500 you're looking at right there. I drove that car for about 10 years, and each year it got less and less reliable. It stranded me and my family more times than I can count. I had one car part in particular that broke so often that I bought replacements in a six-pack. And I carried them with me all the time when I traveled. At some point, I, I uh, named the car the Albatross. 
I don't know if you're familiar with the Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, uh, but the albatross hangs on one mariner's neck, symbolizing his guilt and a burden that is impossible to remove. And that's what that car had become to me, a constant burden. No matter how many times I did repairs or replaced old parts with new ones, that car remained an old, unreliable, used car. But that's not how it works with God and us. When we encounter God's grace and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are a new creation. We're made brand new, not refurbished, not restored, not remodeled. New. The old is gone, the new is here. And that's the only way we will see the kingdom of God. We're about to enter into our time of communion, and as the worship team prepares to lead us once again, let's focus on the grace of Jesus Christ. For those of us who have been made new, remember, we don't deserve it, we didn't earn it, trust and find comfort in God's grace. And for those among us who have yet to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come. God's grace is for you. Be made new today. Amen.